Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is where I'd like to direct your attention this morning, uh, starting in verse 15. I'm going to read a portion of this uh, passage. We are slowly making our way through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote the brothers and sisters in the church in Ephesus. Uh, and before we continue, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. This is here what God's Word says. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now skip down to chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to skip a few verses this morning. Children, the text continues, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Uh, Today, for our time together in God's Word, I have a very specific and selective audience in mind. The rest of you may listen in if you want to, uh, but I want to speak to people who are a specific portion of the congregation. And the people that I have in mind, the audience, is defined specifically by the text where Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 6, children. Now, Paul doesn't mean little kids, uh, little children, but people who live at home under the authority of their parents. Uh, by law, most of what our, and by what most of us in our culture expect, uh, this includes you if you're under 18. If you're 8 or 12 or 15 or in between, Paul is talking to you specifically in this text. Uh, and uh, if you are older, these words still have shades of focus on you too. Um, in fact, until you are paying all of your own bills and not living under your parents' roof, these verses have a role to play in your life. So now at this point in time, everybody needs to elbow somebody significant near them. Pay attention, right? Now that wasn't very spiritual. Uh, if you're a child like that uh, here today... Um, <laughs> Let's be honest, right? The last few weeks we've been talking about marriage a lot, and they have not been very applicable to you, or at least not right now. It's down the road a little bit. But today here, Paul wants to talk to you. Most importantly, the Holy Spirit, through Paul's words to the Ephesians, he wants to have a word with you today. Uh, And I want to begin, I want you to think about a scenario that you've all probably been part of at some point in time. I want you to imagine that you're at a friend's house and his or her mom makes a request and, and there's something that your dad wants your friend to do. There you are, you're playing happily and mom comes in and says something, his mom comes in and says something, his dad comes in and says something and your friend looks at his parents and says, no, I don't want to do that. That is an awkward situation. What do you do if you're standing there, sitting there, and your friend here, you're not going to pick sides at this moment in time, but his parents, her parents, have made a very reasonable request, and 
They don't want to do it. What do you say at that moment? Uh, Brian Chappell described a scene like this. He saw it at, at an amusement park. Every year, my dad used to take us to uh, Darien Lake, which is an amusement park in western New York, and uh, uh, we were allowed to invite a friend. Well, imagine that you're, you're this friend in this, in this scene. This Brian Chapel describes this little boy. He was with his mom, and he climbed up on a fence, just a border fence in the, in the park, and his mother immediately said, Johnny, come down from there right now. Johnny, come down from there. I won't tell you again. Johnny, I'm going to count to three. One... Two, Johnny, do you hear me? Two and a half. Now, Johnny, I mean it. Uh, Johnny, I'm going to tell your father when we get home that you did not get down from the fence when I asked you to. Okay, Johnny, just stay there. I don't care. I'm leaving. You can stay there all day if you want to. Johnny, please. Please come down, Johnny. I'll buy you an ice cream cone, Johnny, if you get down from the fence. What do you do if you're there and you're Johnny's friend? You better not be on the fence with him. Let's just say that. Well, let, let's change the scenario a little bit. Uh, you're at your friend's house again uh, because together you're going to go over somewhere else and you're, you're for a movie night. A bunch of your guys, friends from school or uh, girls are going to get together to watch movies. And your friend's father starts asking all the questions. You know what the questions are, right? Who's going to be there? Will there be parents in the house? What are you going to watch? You know these questions were coming because you had to answer all of them for your parents, right? Uh, and, and then your, father, his, your, fa- your friend's father drops the news, the bomb. It's a school night. You've got to be home by 10 o'clock. Your friend explodes. 10 o'clock? What? No one else will have to come home by that time. Except you, because your friend is giving you a ride. But let's just set that aside for a minute. Now, don't you trust me? You are such a drag. Why do you always treat me like a little kid? I hate it when you speak to me that way. When you talk to me, when you treat me like that. There you are. It was a reasonable request. It's a school night, 10 o'clock. It's not unusual. What do you say? What you say or do in those circumstances uh, is supposed to be shaped by your understanding of what this passage of Scripture says that we just read. And I know that this is not the first time you've heard these words. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, In fact, uh, research in a study that I made up for this sermon suggests that this is one of the top six answers to questions that are asked in a Sunday school class. If your Sunday school teacher asks you a question, you know there's probably a good chance that it's one of six things. The answer, God, Jesus, read the Bible, go to church, pray, and obey your parents. Uh, A couple of years ago, I read a, a really good book about parenting. It was really good. The author's dad, he describes this, when when the author was growing up at his house, uh, his dad would say to him, whenever one of his children argued or complained or uh, uh, resisted, his dad would say to him, what does Ephesians 6.1 say? That's what his dad always said. I think if my dad did that to me all the time, I would hate this verse. 
This passage probably chafes you a little bit more the older you get, the more adult responsibilities you take on when you're almost out and you're almost independent. This verse seems like a leash. It's a bridle. It's a speed bump on your road to adulthood, right? But you know, like the rest of the Bible, this is for your good. This is to help you. Paul speaks to you directly, and I want to see... I want, you to help you, I want to help you see this morning why this is for your good. And to proceed, I want to summarize this, this passage in three statements. If you want to write them down, you can. They're in that green sheet that's inside your bulletin. So here's some summary statements. Here's, here's number one. You are responsible to obey your parents. That's not a brilliant deduction from this passage. It's clear and you can't avoid it. You are responsible to obey your parents. We've covered a lot of ground so far in the book of Ephesians, and most of it has been directly written to adult believers in the church. But Paul here is speaking directly to you as a free agent within your home, someone who is capable of making decisions, someone who has the wherewithal to, when your parents give a command, you decide, am I going to obey or not? And Paul says, choose to obey. Now, you may not realize this, but uh, uh, this is really stunning. See, normal family advice in this day, in Paul's day, they didn't speak to kids about this. Normal family advice uh, in, in the world in which Paul wrote this was, uh, it, it would say something like this, parents, make sure your kids obey. You wouldn't speak to the children directly. That would be ridiculous. You know, That's what Paul does. Paul credits you with the maturity to make this sort of decision. So obviously he has older children in in mind. I know this. Uh, There are babies in the nursery. They're being really loved today. But I bet at least one of them is a little cranky. Probably a little fussy, crying a little bit. Parents uh, that are here would love to be able to go into the nursery and, and, and say to their babies, Now, Francis, you stop crying. And they would love it if the baby said, oh, okay, I'll stop. I didn't realize I was bothering you. I'm so sorry. Trust me, those parents have tried that before, okay? They've pleaded. They promised ice cream. Please stop crying, right? Paul's not talking to babies. They, they don't have the wherewithal to make this, this, this decision, uh, my son is, is five. He's in preschool. And they, they demand that he follow the rules in preschool as they should. But I have a, at home, hanging on my wall where I can see it, the preschool parent handbook. You would think it should say right, preschool child handbook, right? He's five, though. He's not ultimately responsible for all the policies that the school has. Uh, uh, the, they... You're supposed to show up at 9.15. The doors lock at 9.30. Uh, I am the one who get the letter, gets the letter that says, Dear parents, your child must be here by 9.30 or we will lock the doors and he will never get into preschool again. I get that letter. It's addressed to me. It doesn't say, Dear Luke, get here on time, little boy, or you're not going to be able to get into preschool. It does not say that. Luke is not capable of or responsible yet to, to do that. But here, here, Paul is speaking to you. You are responsible for this command before God and accountability to him. Paul is speaking to children. Now, we're going to talk about why he gives this command a little bit in, in a moment, but I want you to see in verse 1 it says, this is right. Do this because this is right. It's the right thing to do. 
In the world in which God made, the world that he created, this is the way that God designed the world. This is the way the world that God made is supposed to work. Now, which is why, if I can stop for a minute and say this, this is why your parents insist that you obey. This is why there has to be consequences when you disobey. This is why it matters. This is why it matters when you say, but dad, or but mom. This is why they push you back when you say things like that. This is why they don't give heed to all of your well-reasoned and insightful arguments as to why their counsel is inept. This is why they don't respond to your whining and nagging. Under God, in the world that God made, this is your responsibility. Your, your responsibility is to obey your parents. Now, we're going to talk more about the why of these commands in a minute, but first I want to focus here on this little phrase here in verse 1 that says, in the Lord. And that brings me to point number 2. The so point number 1 is, you're responsible to obey your parents. Number 2. Your obedience is an expression of your faith in Christ. Your obedience is an expression of your faith in Christ. Now, what does Paul mean by the words, in the Lord? People wonder about this. Is, is Paul talking, does the, phrase, does the phrase, in the Lord, refer to the parents? In which case it would mean, you only need to obey your parents if they're Christians, or you only need to obey their parents if they ask you to do Christian things. Does it mean that? Some people think that's what it means. That's, that's an important question. Because sometimes parents ask their children to do evil, harmful things, like enduring abuse or lying or stealing. Uh, I once heard an example of this. This is... Uh, rather insignificant on the scale of it all, but there was a mother and her little girl, and this little girl, uh, this mother used to work things out so that they could save money when they'd go places. So if they'd go to a restaurant and the child price was for children six and under, that day the little girl would be six. You're six. If they would go to an amusement park where in order to get in and ride certain rides you had to be seven, that day she was seven. You're seven today. One day they walked up to a ticket counter and wanted to do some activity and the little girl turned to her mother and said, how old am I today? I don't remember. Uh, Now this is not a passage that is telling you to endure abuse or to obey to the point of harm. If in your home, obedience means enduring physical or sexual abuse, you need help. And, and, And sometimes... Um, a, p- a parent might say, you have to obey, you have to endure this. This is the way it is. Now, I- I'm not talking about, you know, dad takes away your iPod. I'm being abused. That's not what I'm talking about. If, if you are in a situation where you are being physically or sexually abused, you need help. And if you ask for it, the elders of our congregation and the members of our church will do everything that we can to help you. Um, now, I think that's true. I, th- I think that, that Paul's call to obedience uh, never places someone in a situation like that. that. That's not what Paul's call in, in any of this passage is about. 
But I don't think that's what the words in this context, in the Lord, means. I think rather that the phrase, in the Lord, belongs to the word obey. Obey in the Lord your parents. That is, as, as part of your reverence for Christ, for the Lord's sake, as an expression of your relationship with Jesus Christ, obey your parents. Now, what I find really interesting about that is that, that Paul here wrote this letter to a church and he must have known that in the congregation there were varying levels of ownership of the gospel among the children. What do, what do I mean? Fo- follow me here for a minute. The Bible is written mostly for first-generation Christians. That is, men and women who for the first time had heard the gospel and then become a part of the church. They were in the church. They were recently converted. That is, uh, they worshipped idols or they were devout Jews. But now they have turned to Jesus Christ. Paul or someone else has come and said to them, the path you're on away from God is, is, a, is an expression of, of rebellion against your Creator. It alienates you from God. And, and that person to come and talk to them about how the path they were on worshiping idols um, was, was, uh, leads to um, a, eternal wrath, suffering under God's righteous anger against all those who reject Him. Someone had come with that bad news and someone had come with the great news to tell them that Jesus Christ had died on the cross bearing our sins in our place and how He rose from the dead and, and how we can be forgiven and have a restored relationship with God through trusting, turning to and trusting in Jesus Christ. Someone had come and told them that message. And most of the adults who read this letter for the first time had recently heard that message in their lifetime. They had conscious memories of a time that they did not know the name Jesus and did not believe in Him. Most of the, the, the New Testament is written to people in that situation. Uh, that was not my experience growing up, though, and probably it's not the experience that some, several of you have had. Um, I can't remember a time when I did not know the factual history of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I can't not remember a time that I didn't know that Jesus died for my sins. I wasn't born a Christian. No one is born a Christian, physically. But my parents taught me from the time that I was born, uh, as they should have, and for most of you, your parents did that too. You, you can't remember a time that you didn't know this, or didn't, we didn't have a conscious awareness of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins. As you grow, though, your parents' hope for you is that you will take an increasing personal ownership of this message, that it will become more than something just your parents taught you or you learned in Sunday school, but it will become yours. You'll take personal ownership of it. Uh, let, let me explain here. If your dad is a raging fan of the Dallas Cowboys, you probably wore Dallas Cowboys paraphernalia at, when you were a baby. Without asking your permission, he probably put a Dallas Cowboys bib on you. And you wore Dallas Cowboys clothes. And you watched your dad cheer for the Dallas Cowboys and he threw you in the air when they scored and you were all excited. And then there came the day when you decided that you were going to cheer instead for the Steelers. A righteous decision. All right, The Steelers have become your, your team. You have in a godly way turned from the Dallas Cowboys and uh, own the Steelers for your own. 
Now, in an infinitely more important way, you turn increasingly in your life to Christ on your own. And, and there is, among the children, I'm sure in Ephesus, and among the children in our church, a varying level of ownership of the gospel message. Your parents are praying, and your Sunday school teachers are hoping, and, and, and they want to see you own this message for your own. It's their great hope for you. Uh, we, we think about the gospel this way in our house, and, and it help ex, helps explain, I think, how, how we talk about baptism in, in my house. Baptism is a public sign that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Followers of Christ are commanded to be baptized as a sign of their participation by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, uh, my daughter wants to be baptized. Um, she's nine, and I'm really really happy that she wants to get baptized. Uh, She can tell you when she consciously put her faith in Christ, and I want to do everything that I can to see her grow as a follower of Christ. But I also am encouraging her to wait to get baptized until she knows for sure that she owns it for her own. Now, I'll have the privilege of baptizing uh, a number of you. It will be my great pleasure. Uh, Some of you are afraid of that. Trust me, the smaller you are, the lighter you are, the better the chances of your survival. Okay, so just I'm going to say that. Okay, so be good just to know that. But, but before you get baptized, I want you to know for sure and to see in your own life evidence that when you have different options and different opportunities, you choose Christ and you choose Christ for yourself. I want you to see how you own the gospel yourself. An opportunity might come for you when you are riding in the car with a friend and that friend pulls out a bottle of scotch and says, look, I took this from my parents. Take a drink. You'll like it. What do you do at that moment? Do you own Christ? Do you own the gospel or not? Or maybe the opportunity will come when you're at a friend's house and you sit down at an unfiltered computer and and the friend starts typing in websites with pictures and movies that that you know are not honoring to God. What do you do in those situations? What do you do uh, when you're, you're sitting in front of your own computer and no one's there? Where do you go? Do I really own Christ for myself? Am I really submitting to his authority? What about, what about when you're sitting in the lunchroom and the guy's sitting across from you, you look over and there's that kid's over there. You know him. He's, he's a nerd. I mean, that kid, he's a nerd. He, he's praying. You know he's a nerd and you know he's praying because you heard him give his testimony at the See at the Pole pre-poll rally and he's over there. And the guy sitting across from you looks over there at him and sees him and sees that you see him and says, look at that dope praying in the cafeteria like a good Christian boy. Your ownership of the gospel will be evident in what you say in the next few seconds. How does your personal ownership of the gospel manifest itself in your life when you're old enough to get a job, but they want you to work during youth group? Or uh, you want to play football or soccer or school, but practices mean that you can't go to church. 
Your decision at those moments in time will reflect your ownership of the gospel. It will reflect the fact that faith is becoming or is not becoming your own. And you know all the obstacles that you're going to face at those moments. You'll want to fit in. you want to play. you want to have fun. And you, you know that what Paul says, when he talks about following Jesus Christ, he says it means saying no to some things so you can say yes to infinitely better satisfying things. Grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust so that you can say yes to Christ who brings abundant life. You need to own the gospel. And according to this passage, one of the ways that you know that you own the gospel is how you respond to your parents. In your words, in your attitudes, you own the gospel when you see not just your parents, but behind them the almighty plan of a great and wise God who, who established families this, this way. You, you own the gospel. You express your ownership of the gospel when you do what is right in the world that God made. Your obedience is an expression of the ownership of your faith in Christ. All right, number three here, point number three. Your obedience to your parents is the foundation for a satisfying life. Your obedience to your parents is the foundation for a satisfying life. Now, he quotes here, Paul does, from two verses uh, in Exodus and Deuteronomy. He quotes from the Ten Commandments in, in two different places. And in my Bible, it's in quotation marks. Yours might be too. He says, these are the first commandments of the Big Ten in the Old Testament This is the first one with an explicit personal promise. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now he uses two commands, obey in verse 1 and honor. When when you're young, obedience and honor, and in the Old Testament, are the same thing. You honor your parents by obeying them. When you get a little older, they'll split a little bit, and you will honor your ways, honor your parents in ways that are different than obeying them. But, but uh, if you're living at home, you're in that 8, 12, 10, 15 range, they're the same thing. And they bring these two benefits, a well life, that it may go well with you, and a long life. This is how the world that God made generally works. It's not an ironclad promise, but this is the general rule. Long life, good life, begins with honoring and obeying your parents. Now, these premises that that, that Paul here speaks about are um, built on two themes that show up over and over and over again in the Bible. Two things that you can't get past that are true everywhere in Scripture. And, and, and the first theme is that every choice you make has consequences. That is why your parents spanked you when you were younger. They were trying to give you a physical reminder of the fact that disobedience has spiritual consequences. It may have been their hand on a certain part of your anatomy, but they were reminding you that in God's world, when you disobey God, there are consequences. It's a physical reminder of that. Consequences for your choices are real and you cannot escape them. Now, I, I love pastoring this church and I, I love you, but hear what I say here. Most teenagers are fools. All right? And they're fools because they believe that they're the lone exception to all of the rules. 
I won't get pregnant. I won't hurt anyone when I drive drunk. I won't crash my four-wheeler, so I don't need a helmet. You want to separate your choices from consequences. You, you cannot do that. And obedience and disobedience have their own rewards. But there's a second thing that, that's important to remember here. Uh, you benefit more from obedience than from getting your own way. You benefit more from obedience, from submission, than by getting your own way. I just want you to think about this practically here. Uh, when, when your parents ask you to do something, you have, you have a choice. Let's pick a relatively unimportant issue. All right? just, just for illustration, let's say that your parents insist that you wear shoes that tie to church. Suppose this is more relevant for boys than for girls. It's not in the Bible. It's just their preference. The 11th commandment in your home is thou shalt tie thine shoes before they go to church. All right? That's just a, 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 a something that your parents insist on. When you go to church, wear shoes that tie. Again, it's not a biblical issue. I have a pair of slip-ons at home. They're very comfortable. I wear them all the time. All right? I don't wear them to church, though. But So let's assume you've got to tie your shoes to go to church. Now, how do you respond to that, that request? It's, not simple. It's, it's a simple request. It's not going to kill you. Uh, you can fight for your way. You can argue and you can sneak and you can fight and you can badger and plead and nag and beg and you can wear your poor parents down and they're tired on Sunday morning. Do you know why they're tired on Sunday morning? Because they spent all Saturday carting you around to every activity you wanted to go to. You can plead and beg and nag and wear them down and they might let you win and you might win. But you will benefit more from obeying, from submitting, than from getting your own way. Why? Because obedience puts you in the place to receive wisdom and help and grace from others. Uh, We have a big house. It's, It's long. It is frequently the case that I will be downstairs at one end of the house and one of my children will be upstairs at the other end of the house and you know what happens when you need something from them or you need them to do something. Jada! You know, miles away. Uh, it's impossible to sound gentle or loving or wise when you're, when you're yelling that way. There's no nice way to yell, Jada! across that distance, nicely. Uh, when you fight to win and you get your way, you put yourself far away from wisdom and grace and love that someone might speak. Not yourself physically, but your heart. Let's imagine here that you win. You win this argument about what you, and you walk into the church and because of all your energy that has been put into winning the battle of the shoes, you feel pretty good. You walk in and you say, my parents, they're so traditional. What's wrong with these shoes? I see a lot of people wearing flip-flops and sandals. I should be able to wear flip-flops and sandals too. I'm going to talk to them about all the hypocrites that I see wearing flip-flops and sandals at church who don't tie their shoes like my parents make me tie my shoes. And this is what you're thinking. You won the battle. Woohoo! You got your flip-flops on. Or uh, what if you... Are you in the right frame of mind, exultant in your victory to worship, to listen to receive input from anybody? Or what if you lose? You fight and lose. You walk in the church and you think to yourself, my stupid parents make me wear these dumb shoes. I hate them. 
Are you ready at that moment? If one of our elders wanted to come up to you and, and encourage you, or one of the young adults who cares about you wanted to come up and say, hey, how are you doing today? Or one of the, the sweet older ladies in our congregation comes up to encourage you. How, how can I pray for you? I've been thinking about you this week. I'd love to help you if I can. Are you in any sort of mindset to receive grace and wisdom and help under those circumstances? Submission, even in areas that seem unimportant and inconsequential, puts you in a frame of mind to receive the wisdom and the grace and the help of others. It's a humbling act. It sets you up well. In fact, uh, I'm going to read from 1 Peter 5.5. Listen to what 1 Peter 5.5 says. Young men, it says, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Listen, if you want to fight and you want to get your way, you can do that. But you place yourself outside of the sweet spot of God's gracious work. You put yourself on the other end. You put yourself on the other end of the house from God's gracious, careful words. You cannot at the same time fight and fight and fight at home and receive grace. They are exclusive choices. I want you to open your life to the full and satisfying life that God's grace provides. I want you to follow, I want you to experience all of the joy that following Jesus Christ brings. I want you to receive more and more of God's grace and you set yourself up for it by opening your heart and your mind to your parents. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we are so thankful to you for the children who are a part of our congregation. We're thankful to you for the skills and the gifts that they have. We're thankful to you for the potential that we see in our teenagers for the advance of the gospel in this world. Father, first I want to pray that this would be a place where they would receive wisdom and grace and love and that that our older women and our younger adults and our elders would be faithful in this sort of work and in encouraging them. Make our church that place. But Lord, I, I pray for the hearts and the minds of these uh, children, Paul spoke to them specifically, you, you have this responsibility. Father, I pray that uh, we, we would be faithful, that, that, that these children would, would have a soft heart before their parents for Christ's sake. Increase, we ask in our congregation, the ownership of the gospel among our children and, and teenagers. Rescue, we pray, according to your kindness, the children who are under our care from abusive situations. For for those who are involved in that, that wretched situation, we pray that you would rescue them. Father, we want to demonstrate that we're walking in wisdom and that we're understanding the Lord's will by singing, giving thanks, and submitting to one another, children to their parents. Work that out by the power of your Spirit in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
please stand with us as we sing Be Thou My Vision?